Good morning. Um, grab a Bible. We're discussing, last week we introduced this new mini-series, Kingdom Disciple Mission Church. We're talking about four theological concepts, four values, four paradigms, ideas that have shaped the approach to ministry that we have taken at the garden. For those of you that are new, you want to know what we're about, these four words are helpful. First of all, I talked about Jesus. He's not up there. We're all about Jesus because um, he's been raised from the dead and we take him at his word. So we're, we're gathering this morning because Jesus is resurrected. So that's good news. Um, but f- yeah, we can applaud that. But this morning, um, we want to talk about disciple and mission. So it's two kind of talks in one. So bear with me as I kind of um, pour out my heart for why we, we, we've taken an approach to ministry the way we have. I, um, when we started this church... Almost three years ago, the, the approach we took was, was unique compared to other churches, but there's a theological conviction, um, a worldview, a paradigm, a way of seeing the way scriptures reveal how to minister that um, has influenced what, we, what we're about. So last week I talked about the kingdom. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heavens, or in John's gospel, this thing called eternal life, more than anything else than all of his talks. And so for us, we said we want to be about what Jesus was about. And the kingdom, as we articulated it, is simply the reign of God, the rule of God, God's activity. Or you could say it is the way of life that God intended in the first place. And that he, he, he brings this to a reality to be experienced today. Um, and that we are invited in as followers of Jesus to partner with him in spreading that kingdom around spreading that way of life, of, of wholeness, of justice, of beauty, of peace, of, of righteousness, of forgiveness, of love. That way is what we are, are, um, are invited into to spread around. So that's what we talked about last week. Now, moving forward, uh, grab a Bible and go to Matthew chapter 28. I want to talk about discipleship or disciple. The word disciple, uh, the Hebrew word is talmudim, and it means learner. Um, but our understanding of education and learning here usually has the, we have a picture of a classroom with students sitting behind desks and the expert telling us what to know. Um, and it's always been about information transference. Um, but for, for our sake, we'll, we will talk about biblical discipleship. Um, but maybe a helpful word for us when we think of disciple is apprentice, because that's what Jesus is talking about when he says make disciples. Um, the problem also is all of us here have a, a paradigm, if we've been in the church, a, a history with that word, disciple or discipleship. And for many of us, when we think of the word discipleship, we think of a one-on-one meeting, we think of that classroom setting, we think of a lot of information that we have to learn, we think of, uh, we have to read commentaries and books, we have to become theologians maybe, we think of programs. Would you agree these are all things that we thought of? We think of discipleship. It's for those that have a degree from seminary, right? The disciple is what somebody does when they get paid by the church. Um, it's a unique thing. And so for us, um, we for have, and I'm speaking we g- generically, and maybe this isn't your experience, so forgive me if I generalize too much. But the church has done a great job of doing church in the context of gatherings on Sunday and programs. And we've done, and I'll speak on behalf of the church because I'm part of the church and I love the bride, we've done a terrible job of hitting the bullseye that Jesus Jesus has asked us to hit 
we've become experts at hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. As you will see, Scripture doesn't primarily commission His followers to be in community or to do community or do church. He calls us to make disciples. So this morning we're talking about two convictions that have dramatically shaped our approach to ministry. So if you would, um, go to Matthew 28. You're probably already there. And let's read this very familiar text for those of us that have been in the church for a while. Um, are you guys with me? We're good? All right. Verse 17, Jesus... Uh, verse 18, Jesus has uh, already uh, been raised from the dead and He's with His followers. And He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, or in view of this, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A couple of observations about this text. Jesus is commissioning his followers. Now, we live in a culture where there is a culture of Christianity. And Christianity, unfortunately, has enabled us to be in a context where we can be Christian and not follow Jesus. Do you know the difference? Where we can show up on Sundays, we can give a little bit of money here and there, we can maybe even go to the midweek Bible studies. But the idea of following Jesus with our life is that, just that. Jesus is with his followers, his disciples. So Jesus says to them, after, uh, after he's been raised from the dead, hey, hey guys, look, and, and just to give context, his disciples were probably late teens and early 20s. Okay, So when you think about your teenage kids, or the youth group that we have, we're thinking about Jesus, the Son of God, leaving the restoration of the world to a bunch of teenagers. And he says, hey guys, all the authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. In view of this, go. Now, the, the word go, it, it, it gives us, uh, it gives us some, some, some difficulty in translating, or at least interpreting, I suppose, because the Greek context is not, hey... Now that I have this, go. He says, well, I have this. So the translation is, in your going, or as you go about, whatever it is you're going to go about, make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, what's happened in our context is we have assumed that this is for very particular types of people with college education, with a specific calling, going to seminary, paid by the church. Jesus is commissioning anyone and everyone that says, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. There is no culture of churchgoers. There's Jesus and discipleship and nothing else. And for those of you that have said the prayer at one point in your life, and you are welcomed in as you are, not as you should be. The expectation now is because God has, is reigning, He's King, all authority has been given to Him, He's inviting you or is just saying, as you go about your everyday life, make disciples. How many of us have disciples? Okay, that was good. How many of us are, say, are, are followers of Jesus? Yeah, okay, thought so. Maybe look around next time. We're going to do the half play. Uh, no, no disciple. I believe in Jesus. We are loved and beloved, yes. 
So, he says, make disciples as you go. And then he says this line, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, we dunk people in water. Awesome. That's what we do. We go about doing baptisms. That's a big deal. But it's so much more than that. It's, he's inviting you to immerse. The word baptism means to immerse. Immerse people into the Trinitarian reality. Live in a way that reveals the Trinitarian God. Now, now when you make disciples, live in a community, in a way of life that just ushers in the very presence and nature of the three-in-one God we serve, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whoo! It's a big deal too. And then the last thing that we're commissioned to do is just simply to teach them, teach every, all of our disciples to obey everything that Jesus commanded us to do. Amen. Yeah, yes, amen. It's all morning long. Let's keep it up. So I know this is quite convicting, or at least it is for me, because I'll speak for myself, because I too have had this view that this is for unique people. And I too think that this, you know, this should be left for the, the hired guns, the big people in the church. If you said yes, you're called to make disciples as you go and to teach people the things of Jesus and to live in a way that immerses them in the Trinitarian reality. You with me? So... That's my observation at the Great Commission. So how are we doing with that? How are you doing as a, as a, a husband, as a wife, as a single, as a um, teacher, student, business owner, um, as a computer programmer? How are you doing making disciples? How many of us have a budget? I'm going to just raise your hands. Okay, cool. How many of us, when we got engaged, we did premarital and we mapped out like love language, we read a book on marriage, or we got married and then we read a book on marriage? Any, anyone? I'm the only one driving the car. Okay. Uh, how many of us have ever done a diet? How many of us have ever worked out and had a, like a plan or a rigid plan? Okay, cool. How many of us have a strategic plan to make disciples of all nations? Yes, three of us. Most of us have this picture of discipleship as a classroom, as a program. It's not a program. Go to Mark chapter 1. Let's talk about what discipleship is. So Jesus commissions those who would say yes to him as followers to become the kinds of people that live in a way that replicate followers of Jesus himself. Mark chapter 1 verse 16 um, I want to talk about disciples. So here's a picture of Jesus calling his first disciples in, in Mark's gospel. Read this. Uh, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired men and followed him. A couple of things about this text first before I start teaching on discipleship. Mark's gospel is broken up into two parts, 1 through 8 and 8 through 16. Um, it's, it's clear that, that nobody really knows who Jesus is. Um, until Mark chapter 8, okay? So the first seven chapters, you're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Is he a rabbi? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Uh, 
is he God? I mean, people don't know what's going on. So with knowing that theme, that nobody really knows who he is, why would these guys fishing drop their nets and leave their family to follow Jesus? You're already thinking, um, oh, it's because he's God. It's He had this you know, blonde hair and white face and blue eyes and a halo, so obviously he was different. No, that's probably not the case. Why would they drop everything? Well, the answer is because they had an understanding of what it meant to be a disciple. So, context, first century discipleship. Uh, this is in Israel-Palestine area by the Sea of Galilee, so this is a Jewish context. And the Jews believed that God had freed them from the nation of Egypt thousands of years before the first century and had spoke to them words of life, uh, the secrets of life known as the Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament. So God freed a nation of Israel and made them a separate people and said, you will represent me on earth if you obey all that I have commanded you to do. And so that meant for them to obey Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so with this paradigm, with this worldview, deep inside every single Jewish boy and girl came the responsibility to to know what God said in the Old Testament. Stay with me for a second. So, Moses writes most of the, the, the Torah, or at least edits it, and, um, and the Jewish community over centuries begin to develop an education system that would ensure for generations to come that every Jewish boy and girl would know what God had spoken to Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Are you with me? So in their, in their way of life, they had to survive through, through understanding and knowing the Old Testament. Now, the system was developed... There were three different types of schools. So you're in the first century, hundreds of years after God spoke, and an education system was developed. The first school that every single Jewish boy and girl went to from the ages 6 to 10 was Beit Sefer, House of Books. And this is where every single boy and girl would go to the local synagogue where they would study Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In fact, they would memorize it. Every single boy and girl. After the age of 10... Um, most of them would finish their education and they would be told that they weren't good enough to continue on in their education and they would go back into the workplace and society at the age of 10 and they would learn the family trade. If your father was a fisherman, you would become a fisherman. If he was a stonemason, you'd become a stonemason, a carpenter, a carpenter. If you're a woman or a girl, you'd be raised by your mom to become a wife and you would cook and clean and all the stuff that went along with it. So at the age of 10, you're not good enough, so you go into society, but... If you were lucky and if you were smart and if you memorized the Torah and you were the best of the best, then you would go on to the next school, which was Beit Talmud. And Beit Talmud was from the ages 11 to 14. It's called the House of Learning. And here, the best of the best would be educated in the rest of the Old Testament. In fact, they would memorize Genesis to Malachi. They would study oral traditions. They would study what other rabbis had spoken about the Torah. They would study different components of, of theology and they would learn all of these other traditions. And so after the age of the four, age of 14, if you were the best of the best of the best, then you would continue on in your education. But most people weren't the best of the best of the best. And so by age 14, everyone else, were, they were told to go home, you love God, you love Torah, go home and learn the family trade. 
and go and become a fisherman. Go and do what it is that you're supposed to do because you aren't the best of the best of the best. This is how the education system worked. Every single Jewish boy and girl. But if you were lucky, if you were, in fact, the best of the best of the best, then you would continue on in your education to the third school, Beit Midrash. And Beit Midrash was called House of Study, and it was after the age of 14. And you would go and find a rabbi that you wanted to follow, and you would petition to him, I want to follow you. Then, and only after you petitioned the rabbi, he would grill you or he would question you. He'd want to know what's your view of the Torah. What, what do you know about the Old Testament? What of, of the oral tradition are you uh, versed in? How much can you really know? Because the rabbi would question and question and question to make sure that you in fact could uh, know what that rabbi knew as his disciple. That you could actually do what that rabbi did. The, the rabbi would question you because the rabbi was ultimately wanting to know if you could be like him. That's what it meant for a rabbi to take on a disciple. In fact, the, the word for teaching and doing what the rabbi did or knowing what the rabbi knew and um, living like the rabbi was the word yoke. And the rabbi wanted to know if you could take his yoke upon you and spread his yoke around. Interesting, huh? That's just a side note. Go to Matthew 10, 28 if you want to find that verse out in the Bible. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So we're here. Um, so a guy would petition a rabbi, I want to I I be uh, your disciple, I want to be your Talmudim. And then um, the, the rabbi would question him, does he have what it takes, all this stuff. And if he, if he didn't have what it took, he would say, you love God, you love Torah, go and, uh, and go back and find yourself um, entering back into society, go learn the family trade. But if you had what it took, if, if he knew that you could do what he did, that you can know what he knows, you could be like him, he would say to his disciple, Come, follow me. That disciple would drop everything. Everything. He would leave his family. He would leave his job. He would leave everything he had to walk and follow the rabbi. Because that's what it meant to be a disciple. A disciple's relationship to his rabbi changed all other relationships in his life. It became the relationship that defined everything else about his life. So I asked the question, why did John and Peter and Andrew and Simon drop everything? Because a rabbi named Jesus didn't go to Beit Talmud or Beit Midrash, didn't go to the, the house of study. He went to the seashore to a bunch of kids that have already been told by the education system, you don't have what it takes. You aren't the best of the best. You aren't good enough. You can never be. He goes to the shore. He goes to the side of the sea. And he says to some fishermen, you can be like me. You have what it takes to know what I know, to do what I do, and to become like me. So some random fishermen drop everything because a rabbi said, come, follow me. And when a rabbi says, come, follow me, you drop everything. Discipleship is not a program. It is a way of life. Discipleship begins not with you believing in Jesus, but with Jesus believing in you. Discipleship is allowing your life to be 
reoriented around the God of the universe who is living and breathing and wants to teach you how to live your life as it is. Jesus insists on your greatness. So let me say that one more time for all of us insecure people who never think they're good enough. Jesus insists on your greatness. His call is not just to be where you are. His call is for you to be to the nations, to the ends of the earth, that you can move mountains. He says, greater works will you do than these. John 14, verse 12. He insists on your greatness. To follow Jesus is to become more fully yourself than you were without Him. Not to become a robot, a product of a, of a program or a Bible study, but to become fully yourself in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is the, uh, the process of being formed into Christ's likeness. Discipleship is uh, the process of becoming who Jesus would be if He were you. Yeah. Let me say that again. It's the process of becoming who Jesus would be if He were you. It's a little different than WWJD, huh? Because the thing is this. God has blessed you with a personality, with gifts, with strengths, with uh, relationships, with hobbies, with talents, with passions, with convictions. And discipleship is learning to follow Jesus with all of that stuff that makes you a soul, a person, an individual, and allowing Him to shape everything else around you and in you. This has this understanding of discipleship and disciple has dramatically shaped our church because we don't do discipleship programs we create environments for discipleship to flourish so we do Sunday gatherings because that's part of the rhythm of life of a disciple um, if you do discipleship well churches will become a, pro- a byproduct if you follow Jesus with your life as a disciple community will become natural to you if you long for community And without service, you'll never have it. If you follow Jesus and love Jesus and love people, you'll have community. Discipleship is is an environment that we create. It's, it's, um, It's not just gathering on Sunday or going to community group or serving at the community garden or or living your life on mission um, in the workplace. It's all of that. Every aspect of your day, of your soul, is a, a moment, your feelings, your thoughts, is a moment to be developed and uh and and um and and formed into who you are designed to be in the first place. That's discipleship. Is that good news? That's heavy stuff. So what does that mean? Well, we don't do a bunch of programs. Um, And that has to do with our view of mission, which I'll get to. But let me just say this. How, How do we begin to develop a relationship like this? If we're called to be a disciple first and then to make disciples, here's some helpful ideas. There's an author named Dallas Willard. His definition of a disciple is this. Uh, he spoke at, at our church a couple of months ago, actually uh, with a gr- bunch of churches. But he says this, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. A disciple is not a person who has things together or under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. We constantly reorient our lives around Jesus. I'll say this, as a disciple, I'm learning from Jesus how to lead my life in the kingdom of God everywhere I go with every activity I engage in. That's what an environment of discipleship is. You guys with me? I know that's pretty heavy. So here's some practical stuff. Uh, how How do we orient ourselves in discipleship? First, 
we, uh, as a disciple, we learn to do the things that Jesus said to do. So, you want to be a disciple. We learn to do the things that Jesus said to do. Read uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He has a lot to say about our character. Our characters are formed into Christ-likeness. The way we handle money, the way we treasure things, the way we deal with lust, our anger, our finances, the way we think about stress and worry, all of that can be shaped by Jesus himself. And he offers us ways to go about living. So, how do I do the things that Jesus said to do? Well, I would say start, if you want real practical stuff, let's, let's do disciplines. Read scripture. <laughs> it's that, that, okay, let's start there. Pray. How do I pray? Open up your heart, write it, write it down in a journal, ask God to come into your day. Two starting points. Uh, be alone. Practice solitude and silence. Practice Sabbath and rest. Practice uh, prayer. I already said that. There's, there, we did a whole series on the, on the disciplines. All of those enable us to do the things that Jesus said to do when it's not easy. How many of us have the budget? Is it easy to follow the budget when the new iPhone comes out? No. There's always a reason. We create a strategy for our spiritual development. Now, that's the first part. We learn to do what he says. The second part, I'd say, it's a triangle, is that uh, this is so important. We allow, we can only follow Jesus with our lives. We can't follow Jesus with someone else's life. What does that mean? Allow for the everyday, ordinary activities to be the primary place where you find your discipleship happening. What does that mean? When you're cooking for dinner, how does Jesus shape that process? When you're going out to dinner with friends, how is Jesus in the midst of that conversation? When you go to work, how are you inviting the Holy Spirit to shape you to be more like Jesus as a computer programmer? Do you see that there's no secret? It's about living our lives wherever we're at. The greatest gift we can ever do is to learn to hear God's voice in the ordinary. That's so how, how will the renewal of all things happen Which when we get to mission? It's going to happen because disciples learn to follow Jesus in the workplace, at their home, with their family, with their neighbors, with communities, in church. That's it. So the first thing is to discipline ourselves and learn to do the things that Jesus did and t- what he told us to do and to allow our everyday ordinariness to be shaped by Jesus. And the third is to the power of the Holy Spirit. All of those things, we invite the Holy Spirit to do this. This isn't about works. This is about, lear- about being intentional with our following Jesus, our following of Jesus. Does that make sense? So do the things that Jesus said to do. Discipline. Ordinariness. Allow your everyday ordinary life. What do, you, what, do you, what do you like to do for fun and how can God be glorified? How can he shape you to be a better basketball player for fun? That's the type of stuff that Jesus wants to be involved in. He doesn't, want you, he doesn't just want your Sunday mornings, guys. Gosh, he wants, he wants your heart as you prepare to come to church, quote unquote. Good? And then the Holy Spirit. That's discipleship. Whoo, that's a big... We could just end there, sing our song, but I'm doing two today. So um, this has dramatically shifted our approach to ministry we realize that um, we are all followers of Jesus, so we, we are first, he's, our, he's the one discipling us, but then we are invited to have intentional relationships where we, be, we begin to disciple others. And for those of us that say, there's no way, I've only been a Christian for two day, or two years, and I've never read the Bible all the way through, I don't even know what you know, the Trinity is, neither do I, and uh, it's so complex in this, and I'm not good enough in that, here's the secret, okay? It's from the prophet Chris Martin, also known as Coldplay. 
He says this when he's writing about his music. I can't dance like Usher. I can't sing like Beyonce. I can't write songs like Elton John. But what we can do, but we can do the best we can with what we've got. And so that's what we do. We just go for it. Brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus and through the help of Chris Martin, can we just do the best with what we've got and just go for it? Right? That's freeing. Thank you. Cool play. Um, okay, grab your Bible. Second Corinthians. Okay, so discipleship. This approach, this approach to ministry means that um, we have to learn to follow Jesus. Cool. Mission. This is a great word. Another complex word where most of us, when we think of mission, we think of what we do when we go to Mexico, right? Or when we sign up to go to Africa, or we think of a missionary as the person that has a very specific, unique calling to go overseas, to make no money, to sacrifice everything they have, to be with God in a foreign land and to suffer. And so mission is so confusing. And on top of that, we as the church institution, even the garden, we provide outlets, release valves, as I like to call them. <laughs> I don't mean to come down on us, but how many of us feel much better about our church when we know there are some people someplace else doing the missional work for us? You know what I'm saying? You know, it's like, oh, we have a community garden. I've never been there, but we've got one. We're so missional. <laughs> or thank God that people go to Mexico. I'm so, I'll support them with my money. I could never spend the time to be missional like that. Or missionaries, they're so unique. Man, they have such a difficult calling and task. Ho, ho, ho. <sighs> I'm going to ruin your view of that right now. Go to... Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling good right now. Gosh. Man. Yeah, applause. That's great. I'll take it. Um, the only thing I'm worried about really as I preach, and I'm sorry for confessing this, is I do have a fantasy league, and um, I could care less about any specific team per se, but today um, my wife and I are in the same league, and we're fighting against each other, and we're both undefeated in our fantasy league. So there is a house divided right now with my wife and I. So, uh, mission, where was I? Second Corinthians. <laughs> I'm going to beat you, love. Um, 17, Lord help us. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone, the new is here. Amen. Good news right there. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. That's just, some of you just need to sit with that for a little bit. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So for those of you that thought you were off the hook, last week I talked about this. The story of God is that since Genesis chapter 3, God has been on a loving pursuit and mission of reconciliation, of renewal, of restoration, and redemption of all things. And when I say all things, I mean everything. I mean he's renewing people back to God, people back to themselves, people back to each other, and people back to creation. That is the missio dei, the mission of God. 
to bring what was once perfect and full of shalom, Genesis 1 and 2, back to that state, but a progressive state where it's not a garden anymore, it's a city. Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. Okay, that was a lot. But that's the mission of God, that He has been on a redemptive plan of renewing all things. Now, the way, the secret is this. He's doing that through us. So, Jesus... Hey guys, all the authority on heaven and earth. Here's the deal. Um, you gotta, you gotta. I'm going up. I'm gonna give you my spirit. Cool. Now, just as you go about your business, just renew everything. Cool. I'll see you in a couple years. Teenagers. I mean, I don't even trust teenagers to date or drive cars. And <laughs> they have to renew the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. But so mission. The DNA, the mission is the DNA of God. It is the heartbeat of God, which means it has to be the heart of, heartbeat of the followers of Jesus and the church, which means that a church without mission is dead. There is no such thing as a, 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 a non-missional church. Mission is who we are and what we do. It says, according to Paul's understanding of what God is doing, that because we are reconciled to God, that we are now ambassadors of Christ with a, 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 a business card at the garden that says minister of reconciliation all of you are ministers of reconciliation what does that mean you are renewing the earth through people through yourself through the things that you do with your hands and the things you think and create through hanging out in community if you think missionary is a, a separate call, you're completely misunderstanding. The church is missionary. The church is sent. We're witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus according to Acts 1-8, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are spreading this way of life everywhere we go and God's doing that not through those that are paid by, the st- by churches or that have great education and know a lot of stuff, but through the moms and dads, those without college education, through those that are living in transitional housing when they say, God, what are you doing? And they do what He's doing. That's the renewal of all things. Yeah, man, we need like, I just talked to Elaine earlier. She's from Joel Osteen's church, and I know they do that a lot more. So let's get some amens. Amen, brothers and sisters. All right. (laughs) So, so how does this happen? Stories. Uh, Our community group, we said, hey, why why do our community groups serve? Because that's what the church does. Um, community groups, we said, hey, uh, let's, let's go to, I've told this story, to Laundry Love. Let's do something called Laundry Love. Let's go provide free laundry on 9th and Pine every Tuesday once a month. So once a month on Tuesdays. Showed up, five people with 20 of us. They were terrified. Um, but we said, hey, next month we'll be here again, tell people. And they're like, it's going to be packed. Sure enough, there's a line at the door. We, we spent more money than we planned on. Believe me, we're pulling out, we're going to the ATM to fill up these machines, playing with the kids in the parking lot, kicking soccers into the street, nearly getting hit by a car, um, food. I mean, we bought some pizza and some Starbucks and, uh, and we just provided free laundry. How simple is that? Simple, two hours, once a month. Guess what happened? Lots of things. Some people came to faith. One person in particular accepted Jesus, came to our church, um, had a crazy experience. Uh, another woman comes to me and she says, in tears, after we provided for uh, uh, laundry and, and wash and dry, and she says, it gives me hope in humanity to know that there are people like you out there. 
So five dollars and quarters brought this one woman who was obviously seasoned by life hope again. Reconciliation, renewal of all things. My wife is really good at this stuff. She gets, um, uh, she's my hero in this whole thing, and she she gets mission in a way that I I could never get it. I'm really hard on myself, so I'm always I'm always like gun ho. We got to do something crazy. She's like it's got to be part of your life, and so for her it's it's hospitality. She invites everyone I know into our home so that we can cook and she can cook and I can clean, um, and and we can <laughs> and we can minister from our home. So we invite. We, we plan out our week to know that we have to have people from our community and outside of our community at times in. And there's been so much amazing thing. There's been a many, many, many things that have happened. One, my family, I come from a divorced family, has seen dramatic healing of our family, restoration of our entire family because of our dinner table. Where we've said, hey, we're going to have everyone over. Let's talk about life, what's going on. We prayed for each other, a divorced mom with my stepmom and dad, all together praying for each other. Reconciliation. Amazing. Another story about my wife. She uh, listens to God at times, as many of us do at times. And we were, she was going to the grocery store, saw a kid who was begging for money, probably 19, definitely homeless. She uh, texts me, hey, God's speaking to me, something blah, cool, pray for me. Okay, I pray for her. Next thing I know, she's texting me, hey, there's someone coming over for dinner. Great, this is going to be fun. Meet the kid, addicted to meth, alcohol. Every drug that you can think of, his face is sunk in. He's terrifying, completely broken. Um, 19, accepts Jesus, detox in our house um, for a couple of days, comes to our community group to meet with one of his heroes who's a skater, uh, realizes that he has to get his life together. That means he's got to go serve the time that he has warrants out for his arrest. Serves time, comes back, is off alcohol, drugs, everything, goes back home, gets restoration with his family, and now he has a job back home in Minneapolis or something like that. So, yeah, that's just... You know, what, you know what that was? That was going to the grocery store, saying yes on the way back, and then, then it was, okay, the next step is you have nowhere to go and we have a couch, and it's safe enough. I don't recommend this all the time. This isn't a prescription. Obviously, you've got to discern it, but it, God was telling us to do that. And I've heard stories of so many families doing this, but that is one way that God uses us. So the key to all of this, for me to end this, is that we are all missionaries, that we are all called to live in partner with God in the renewal of all things wherever we go. If we work at Trader Joe's, if, um, if we work at a, at a school, if we are a student, um, if we do anything, as the guy from Trader Joe's gives me a hand, handshake. Um, <laughs> uh, if we interview celebrities in Hollywood, it does not matter where we do, what we do, or how we do it. God is inviting us where we're at with our talents, with our skills, with our hobbies, with our passions, with our neighbors. How many of us have our neighbors over for dinner regularly? Throwing that out there, there's probably only a few of us. Don't mean to bring it down again. But all of that stuff is God invites us to be on mission there. With those things, not with someone else's life, with your life. How is a city going to be transformed because we do this type of stuff? Because everyday ordinary people are filled with the Holy Spirit and partner with God on His mission to renew all things. So you can, you can go serve at the laundromat, you can serve in our youth group, you can start community gardens, you can simply hang out with the hurting people down the street, you can invite your neighbors in, you can do hospitality, you can go overseas, you can start churches, you can start orphanages, it does not matter. All of that is part of the story of renewal of all things. It doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, how smart you think you are, it doesn't matter what education you have, it doesn't matter if you have a stutter, God will use you 
if you let him and just say yes. Amen. Discipleship and mission. Disciple and mission. Two words that dramatically shape our approach to mission and our, our approach to ministry. Here's the deal. We're not going to have a lot of programs at the garden. Why? Well, because you are all ministries in the making. God has called every single one of you to a ministry, a grace. Some of you are passionate about men. You, you, and hopefully you're an older man and not an, you know, and women, yes, you're passionate about men. This is a different story. Come back. <laughs> uh, what's the score on fantasy right now? Alex, you're winning? Oh, I'm so mad. Let me get through this. God's given you grace. So today, we're going to commission our ministers. You. But let me end with this. I know the insecurity creeps in. I know you think, there's a, I don't have enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. Believe me, guys, if you want to find insecurity, you can look right here. I've lived my life completely terrified, never feeling good enough. Do you know that three and a half years ago, I was t- having panic attacks to speak in front of six people that came to the garden? Terrified, stuttering. I mean, you can watch old Vimeos. Thank God I took them off. Absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. I can't believe we started a church. I can't believe people stayed. That's how I thought. But God was doing something because it wasn't about me. Yeah, overcomer. Yeah, let's go. Preach it. So here's the deal. We have insecurity. We're afraid. We're terrified. We think discipleship is for the experts or mission is for the special. It's not blah, 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 blah. Moses. He is a shepherd. And God, randomly one day, as he walks probably around a very familiar corner, appears in an ordinary bush, and he recognizes that something's going on and says, you will free the nation, my people. And he has excuses. There's no way. I can't, who, how will they believe me? I'm, I can't speak, and yada, yada, yada. All the excuses. And God says, no, I want to use you. I want to partner with you. I want, I'm going to be with you. And one of the convincing facts is the question that he asks Moses, what's in your hand? What's in a shepherd's hand? Oh, a staff. Nothing special about the staff. But it was in Moses' hand at the time. And that became the tool, as God revealed his power to Moses, that would enable Moses to partner with God to free millions of people through the power of God. So the question this morning is, what's in your hand? What do you have? What's... The friends, what are the friends that you have? What, are, what job do you have? What skills? What talents? What, what domain are you in in society? And how do you begin to allow God to shape that? Good? Can we stand? I'm going to invite Jamie back. I want you to close your eyes as we stand. We're going to sing a song in a second, but I want to just lead us in a prayer. So God's speaking. Some of us hopefully are hearing some great things and freeing things. Um, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And for those of us that are comfortable at the garden and want to hold our hands out, hold your hands out. It's just a posture of wanting to receive. Just saying, I'm open to you. First question I want you to ask God is this. What does it mean for me to follow you? Just wherever you are. Some of you might be uh, seeing areas in your life where God is not in it. God is absent. 
Maybe it's an area full of sin, of brokenness, despair. Maybe this morning it's simply allowing God into those places. Some of you might be seeing a very specific route. For me, when I did this this morning, it was, hey, I need you to continue to press into the scriptures. Just read it every day. Maybe you're hearing that. Maybe someone here is, I need to join a community group. I need to be in a community that's on a journey of discipling and learning how to be a disciple. Maybe it's simply that God's inviting you to, to be a disciple at the workplace. He's just saying, hey, I want you to pray when you go to work. I want you to pray for your coworkers. I want you to keep your head up. I want you to bring joy into those places. Maybe some of you, it's a ministry that God's called you to a while ago and you've just had every excuse. Maybe some of you are called to vocational ministry. Uh, maybe some of you are called to overseas. Maybe some of you have been called to minister to men. Whatever it is, would you do this? Say, in obedience, say, Lord, I'll follow you there. If God's speaking to you. Right. Second, second question this morning is what does it mean Lord for me to partner with you on mission would you ask that to God what does it mean for me to be a minister of reconciliation your ambassador wherever I go If you begin to hear things or see things and excuses come up or doubt, would you just submit those to the Lord? Because God's probably speaking through you, to you that way. And it's often met with uh, lies or insecurity or self-doubt. And would you just do this, Lord, I will partner with you there. I'll pray for my neighbors. I'll serve at the garden, community garden. I'll, you know, I'll start joining a community group or I'll, I'll start a community group. Or maybe it's, Lord, I'm going to start... Um, inviting my coworkers over for dinner once a week. Whatever it is. Um, or I'll go to Africa if that's where he's called you. Would you just right now say, God, I'll follow you and I'll partner with you here. Great. Can I have your eyes open and keep your hands out? So, for those of you that are from the garden, this is for you. Um, I want to commission you as missionaries of the garden. Okay? You see us do this for special people that are often leaving the garden, but I want to do it today. I wish I did buy business cards for all of you that said staff member at the garden, minister of reconciliation, because that is what you are. So I'm going to pray this over you. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would you be filled with His Holy Spirit? Would you be given the grace to do the things that you could never do on your own? To be a minister of reconciliation wherever you go, at your home, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, in the city, would you be obedient as a missionary of Jesus Christ and His ambassador to partner with Him in the renewal of all things? And I pray this through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.